the establishment of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, it is to bring praise to the Lord God. It is all done not that sinners might be congratulated for their ingenuity. It is all done that there might be praise to his glorious name forever. It is all done that in the end, the whole earth would be filled with his glory. Welcome to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. I'm Steve Hiller. Glad you're with us as we continue a message called The King's Dominion, taking a look at Psalm 72. And uh, Jonathan, we uh, actually, in the message today, are going to take a look at this establishment of the kingdom of God. We hear a phrase like that, and uh, we some of us may uh, kind of define that however we might think that would look. When we hear that phrase, the kingdom of God, what do you mean by that? What, is, what does Scripture mean by that? Well, it's a great question, and plenty of books have been written in response to it. it very simply, I think we say that the kingdom has come in Jesus Christ, and the kingdom is coming. So when Jesus arrived on the scene, you know, the, the declaration was made, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the good news. And, and because Jesus is the Messiah, the promised king, as he arrives, he claims the kingdom for himself in, in terms of, of claiming people to follow him and to live under his lordship. But there is a day coming, of course, when we will see the full realization of the kingdom of Jesus Christ and where he will be recognized universally as God's king. That, that hasn't happened yet. He has come, he has established his kingdom in calling people to follow him and to serve him, but he will return and we await the full realization of his kingdom. And his people, those who trust in him, will live under his, his rule and his reign in all eternity. What a thing for us to look forward to if we know Christ. Well, we're going to uh, continue to look at this psalm, Psalm 72. So grab a Bible, join us there as we continue our message, The King's Dominion. Here is Jonathan. Throughout Old Testament times, the people of God were really looking for the restoration of God's promised blessing, the blessing to Abraham. They were looking for that perfect king who could bring them into the full experience of God's blessing. But what perhaps they didn't see and they didn't understand right away was that for the nation to know God's blessing and his kindness and his favor, their sin and their guilt had to be dealt with once and for all. They didn't deserve God's blessing. Their history had made that clear. Generation after generation had turned away. And so the first thing that Jesus, the Messiah, the promised king, had to do was to deal with the problem of the people's guilt and their alienation from God. The first thing that he needed to do was to die on the cross, that the curse of the nation might be removed. And only once that curse was lifted could God's people enjoy his blessing. The fulfillment of Psalm 72 in this grand vision really comes in two big stages. The first is at Jesus' first coming when he announced the kingdom and begins to gather a, a people of following, and when he dealt with the problem of his people's sin at the cross. But the next stage, the ultimate fulfillment, it is yet to come. When Jesus returns, he will bring in the full experience of the realities 
promised in Psalm 72. Scripture speaks of a renewed and even a new creation where Jesus Christ is going to reign as king for all eternity. And Psalm 72 is a picture for us of his kingdom, of his coming reign. This is what it's going to be like when Jesus Christ returns to reign. Just try and picture the scene painted for us here in this psalm. Verse 6, he will be like rain falling on a mown field, like showers watering the earth. We know the beautiful refreshment of light summer rain. We've had downpours this week and even hailstones. But the gentle rain of summer on a mown field after a heat wave, beautiful, life-giving, refreshing. When Jesus returns to this broken and this pain-filled world, he will bring that kind of life-giving refreshment to his people. In his days, prosperity will abound till the moon is no more. No more cycles of boom and bust. We keep hearing dire warnings of a coming real estate or stock market crash. Prosperity never lasts very long in this world, and for many people, in many parts of the world, they never experience it. But in the coming days, in the eternal kingdom, God's righteous people will know only abundance and nothing else. He will rule from sea to sea, verse 8, and from the river to the ends of the earth. In that new creation, there will be no place for rebellion, no place for the enemies of God. The rule and reign of Jesus will be universal. All nations will be blessed through him, and they will call him blessed. That's the future. That's the fulfillment of the great promises of God. Jesus won for his people the blessings of the Father in his first coming. He, he won God's blessing through his death and his resurrection. And in his second coming, he will bring in the full and the physical and the tangible experience of that blessing even in a new creation. So what does that mean for us in the here and now? What does it mean for us, this people of this great land, as a people of Canada in this phase of history? I think the picture of these verses, this picture of the blessings of the king's coming reign, they remind us that the best is yet to come for the people of God. It was a wonderful instinct that prompted Tilly to associate verse 8 with the new nation 150 years ago. It was a good instinct because, of course, the entire world does belong to Jesus Christ. He's seated at the right hand of the Father even now. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and all the world does owe him its worship and its obedience. But as we read the vision we see that the ultimate fulfillment is yet to come. The perfect society under the perfect king in a perfectly restored creation, that's all part of the future and not of the present. And so we must be a people who do not set our hope on this present world, who do not settle for the here and now with all its brokenness. We must be a people who look to the future and long for the consummation of all things when Jesus Christ returns. And actually, living here in Canada with natural beauty all around us, with relative peace and prosperity as the norm, 
it would be quite easy for us to believe, at least sometimes, that we are living the good life in the here and now. Sitting by an Ontario lake or a Quebec lake on a sunny day, we could almost imagine, if we sort of squint our eyes, that Canada is the land of Psalm 72. But ask a believer in war-torn Syria, or in a slum in Nairobi, or in a prison in North Korea, and they won't struggle to look forward to the return of Christ and to the fulfillment of these great promises. Our danger living here in Canada, our danger is that we could actually stop looking forward. Our danger is that we could just settle in, because life for so many is so good and so pleasant and so comfortable in the here and now. But Psalm 72, it reminds us the best is yet to come. Psalm 72 calls the believer to set our eyes on the horizon of Christ's return and to pray with all the saints, even so, come, Lord Jesus. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths and a message called The King's Dominion. Now, we're going to pause right here, but we'll get back to this message in just a moment. If you ever want to find out more about Jonathan and Encounter the Truth, or if you ever miss a broadcast and you want to go back and listen to that, you can do all of that and a lot more when you come to our website. It's EncounterTheTruth.org. And maybe as you're traveling, you uh, are going to be moving out of the area that you would normally hear this program. Well, you can find us on other radio stations. We've got a link for that. Or you can simply stream the program or download an MP3 through your computer. Again, it's, it's all at our website, EncounterTheTruth.org. Well, let's get back to the message. If you have just joined us, we're in Psalm 72. Here is Jonathan. His kingdom is a kingdom of blessing. Next, his kingdom is a kingdom of justice. Notice what Solomon prayed, verse 1. Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. He will judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice, down to verse 4. He will defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. He will crush the oppressor. King Solomon was renowned for his wisdom and his ability to judge even the most complex and difficult cases. But no king of any nation in any age has been able to achieve perfect justice in their land. In our own age, we long for justice and we prize justice and we pursue justice. We're greatly privileged to live in a country with an independent and well-functioning judiciary. But we don't need convincing that perfect justice so often eludes us. We know the best judges fail. The most well-intentioned juries don't see all the facts. We know all too well that the innocent can be declared guilty, and the guilty can too easily walk free. Even in a country like ours that prizes fairness and justice, and we do, we still so often get it wrong. Just yesterday at the Canada 150 celebrations, the Prime Minister made a point of acknowledging that Canada's history has been marked by much injustice. And many protesters worked hard over the weekend to reinforce that point. Worldly kingdoms and nations fail in the matter of justice all the time. But in the kingdom of Jesus Christ, perfect justice will be perfectly done. He's going to judge the peoples in righteousness. 
those who are afflicted and who think that no one sees their affliction. They will receive justice at that final day. But the oppressor, verse 4, who too easily escapes in the kingdoms of this earth, the oppressor will stand before this perfect judge who has seen every act of oppression, and the oppressor will receive his due penalty. This basic truth is a truth of great comfort for us because it says that a day is coming when perfect justice will be perfectly done, no exceptions, nothing overlooked. The coming king will sit on his throne to judge all people who have ever lived, all secret crimes, all hidden atrocities, all silent injustices, all crimes ever committed will be brought to light and judged with fairness by the perfect judge. That truth is a great comfort because it is so easy to become overwhelmed by the sheer scale of injustice that we observe in the world around us. It's so easy to fall into despair as we look out on a world where the weak are oppressed, where the poor are marginalized, a world where children are trafficked and sold into slavery, a world where the guilty do so often escape punishment. But the hope and the promise of Psalm 72 is that a day is coming when the Lord's King, His perfect King, will right every wrong that has ever been committed. He will judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice. It's worth saying that this promise and this vision is a particular comfort to the afflicted believer, to the persecuted Christian. We sometimes talk about the fear that persecution against Christians might one day be a reality here in Canada. That's a possibility, of course, maybe it'll happen, but at the present time, the reality is that we enjoy so much freedom and so much protection here. But cruel persecution, fierce persecution, is a hard reality for so many brothers and sisters around the world. And when God's people suffer violence and suffer hatred, and even murder, as they so often do in some places. It's easy to wonder if God has forgotten His people and forgotten His promises to them. But the promise in verse 2 is sure. It is that the coming King will judge the Lord's afflicted one. He will take up their cause. He will, verse 12, deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy, and save the needy from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence, for precious is their blood in His sight." There's great comfort here in these rich promises, in this bright vision for God's future. But there is, at the same time, a very serious warning here. There's a warning because the King who is coming soon to reign will come to judge and to defeat His enemies. He will, verse 4, crush the oppressor. The desert tribes, verse 9, will bow before him and his enemies will lick the dust. Scripture has a great deal to say about the return of Christ. And again and again, it warns us that we need to be ready for his return. We need to be ready because the coming king is coming as a warrior and as a judge. If you're someone who's not yet bowed the knee to King Jesus, if you have not yet turned to him in repentance, and in faith. Psalm 72 is here for you to urge you to do that. It shows you the sheer goodness of living under His reign. It woos you with the beauty of this King and of His coming kingdom. But it also warns you. It warns you of the danger of defying His rule. 
His enemies will lick the dust. That's the promise. All kings will bow down to him. Whether in grace or in judgment, they will bow down, and all nations will serve him. And so the pressing question before each one of us today, the most pressing question that any one of us could ever face at any time is this. Are we ready for King Jesus to return? When he returns, will you enjoy his salvation or will you face his judgment? What's the verdict for you? He offers free forgiveness and true acceptance to anyone who will turn to him in repentance and faith. That's why he came once before to secure our salvation. That's what he achieved. That's what he made available through his death and his resurrection. But he does call each one of us to turn. He does require us to turn. And he does require us to submit our lives to him as true king. And when he finally comes to judge and to reign, it will be too late for his enemies. I hope each one of us here this morning has heard that warning and has taken it to heart. For us who have heeded that warning, for Christian believers living here in Canada in its 150th year, I hope this promise of judgment, this prospect of judgment, shapes our concerns and our prayers for our nation. We're all concerned that our nation should be a place of peace and prosperity, a place of generosity, a place of fairness, a place of warm welcome, a place of care for the marginalized, a, a place of equality, and a place of opportunity as well. But if our thinking and our worldview is really shaped by the Word of God, our greatest prayer for our nation, our deepest concern for Canada, must be that men and women, boys and girls, would hear of the coming King, would learn of His grace and of His kindness, would hear the warning of His judgment yet to come, and would bow the knee to Him in grace before He comes in judgment. Canada's greatest need is not economic, political, or social. It is first and foremost spiritual. Our nation's greatest need is to prepare to meet her true and coming king. Canada's future king, Prince Charles, has been on tour this week and was in town yesterday for the Canada Day celebrations. He and the Duchess of Cornwall began their tour in the far north on Thursday. And I guess it was barely headline news that they had come. Many Canadians probably had no idea that they were here. But when King Jesus comes to claim his kingdom, no one is going to miss his coming. No one is going to be unaware. He's going to come in glory and with great power and with majesty. And our fellow Canadians need to know now that he is coming then. And they need to be ready. On this 150th anniversary, of our nation, we as a people of God need to give ourselves afresh to prayer for our nation that many would come to know the Savior. We need to give ourselves afresh to the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that many would be ready to welcome the King. We need to give ourselves afresh to personal evangelism so that our friends and our neighbors, those we love, those we are concerned for, might be spared the judgment to come. If we're patriots, and I hope we are, if we are truly concerned citizens, if we love this country, if we love the people of our land, then this has got to be our prayer, and this must be our first concern.
The kingdom of Jesus Christ is a kingdom of blessing. It is a kingdom of justice. And finally, as we close, it is a kingdom for God's glory. Verse 18. Praise be to the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does marvelous deeds. Praise be to his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. In the build-up to this great national anniversary, it's been interesting to read about and to reflect upon our national identity and our place in the world. It's a good time to pause and to consider what we're really about, what makes us stand out among the nations. And beyond the inevitable focus on maple syrup and Tim Horton's coffee, there's much of real substance, I think, to celebrate and to give thanks for. But again and again, in reflecting on our own place in the world and our contribution to the international scene, we do seem to end up patting ourselves on the back a little bit. Where liberal democracy seems to be in decline in other parts of the world, Canada's a beacon of hope and of good order. Where other countries are closing their borders, we're still welcoming the stranger. Where other countries might withdraw from the international peacekeeping effort, we've renewed our interest and our concern, and so those right reflections continue. And while there's much to celebrate, no doubt, much has been done well, and much that Canada contributes generously to the world, I always find myself thinking that the reflections ring a little bit hollow, because they only tell one side of the story so often. We can find a hundred reasons to congratulate ourselves for who we are and for what we've achieved, but for every achievement and every contribution, we can as well find a hundred things to regret about the current state of our nation. And the Prime Minister rightly acknowledged something of that yesterday, I think. Self-congratulation can only ever go so far because, of course, we are a sinful people. We are a compromised people. We are a people of many contradictions. And so against a background this week of much self-congratulation, we encounter something very wholesome and something very refreshing in verses 18 and 19. Here in these verses, at the end of the psalm, we see the core identity and the end goal of the dominion of Jesus Christ. We see the purpose for which his kingdom is established. The establishment of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the extension of his rule from sea to sea, the tribute that he receives from the kings of all the earth, all of it is calculated and designed to achieve one thing. It's all heading in one direction. It is to bring praise to the Lord God, the God of Israel. It is all done not that sinners might be congratulated for their ingenuity, but rather that God himself might receive his due for all that he has done. It is all done that there might be praise to his glorious name forever. It is all done that in the end, the whole earth, would be filled with his glory. There's a reason, of course, why that's right and why that's entirely appropriate. It's right that his kingdom should be all about his glory because as the psalmist realizes in verse 18, God alone is the one who does marvelous deeds. The creation of the kingdom, the enthronement of the king, the salvation of the people, it's all his work and it's his alone. And so as we give great thanks to God for our nation this weekend, as we look forward to the greater kingdom yet to come, we, God's people, say with sincere heart, praise be to the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does marvelous deeds. Praise be to his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen.
Jonathan Griffiths here on Encounter the Truth, wrapping up our message, The King's Dominion. Well, Encounter the Truth is a listener-supported broadcast, and that's what it sounds like. We depend on your generosity to keep Jonathan's teaching on the station. But as you give a gift of any amount this month, we want to say thank you by sending you a book called Hope in the Face of Suffering. It's written by Jeremy Marshall, and he was diagnosed with terminal cancer a number of years ago. And as he's wrestled through that, he's come to discover some principles from the Bible that have really caused him to still have hope even in the face of suffering. And he shares these thoughts, these meditations in this devotional book, Hope in the Face of Suffering. We want to send you a copy as you give a gift of any amount to Encounter the Truth this month. You can find out more, give online at EncounterTheTruth.org or call us at 833-99-TRUTH. That's 833-998-7884 or EncounterTheTruth.org. Well, thanks for listening today. For Jonathan and for our producer, Mark Breda, I'm Steve Hiller, and I hope you'll join us next time.